Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again. You're listening to the Arax podcast from the maritime shipping and ocean news site, Fathom World. And I'm Craig Eason, editor of Fathom World. So here we are now coming towards the end of May and suddenly it's getting busy. As many know, as well as managing Fathom World and putting together this podcast, and this is its 69th episode by the way, I earn my bread also by moderating industry events and at the end of May I'm going to be in Brussels for the closing conference of the EU funded Skillsea project which has been working for the last three or more years on strategies to ensure maritime training in Europe is competitive and fit for purpose. Then early June, I'll be in Oslo for North Shipping, where you can find me from Tuesday the 6th to Friday the 9th, interviewing a range of industry experts on the Blue Talk stage at the Lillestrøm Exhibition Hall. Now, in line with the Skillsea theme, one of the Blue Talks I've designed looks at how we can get enough people interested in the industry, both to go to sea and to take the much-needed shore-based roles. And then on the Friday of North Shipping, it'll be the Ocean Campus stage talking to the training establishments about how they take the responsibilities of having people fit for purpose on the ships of the future. And talking about the ships of the future, there's two key spheres of conversation I've been having for many years. The new engines for the new fuels and the digitalization of the industry as AI brings in higher levels of autonomy. Now in terms of engines, there's another big event in June, and this one is in South Korea, in Busan. It's the CMAC Congress, where one can get to hear about some of the latest research into technologies for shipping, as well as experiences in using some of those new fuels and ancillary technologies. Fathom World will be there. Gavin Lipseth will be joining me in a few minutes to talk about the Congress and what he expects us to be able to find out about the state of shipping technology. And then the other sphere I mentioned is digitalization. And with this, there is the work to look at how maritime autonomous surface ships, or MAS, will emerge into the industry. Now, one of those blue talks in Oslo is on the latest developments in MAS and autonomous systems. You see, one of the questions I've had and others have had over the years is whether it's likely that we will actually see autonomous and unmanned ships in our lifetime in international trade. To help me with the talk is Hideaki Ando, who's going to be giving the opening presentation. He's from Monohakobi Technology Institute. It's a research lab owned by the Japanese shipping giant NYK. Ando and MTI are part of a big Japanese consortium, and it's a project funded by the Nippon Foundation, DFFAS, designing the future for full autonomous ship. It's a project that's part of the Maguri 2040 program. And the reason for this program is somewhat prosaic in my mind, because it harks back to that other topic I mentioned. There are far too few youngsters seeking maritime careers in Japan, a country made up of many islands and a huge domestic shipping industry. And in this domestic shipping industry, more than half the crew are over 50 years old. The desired solution is to reduce the crew and automate the ships more. The program has five consortia trying to achieve five different goals, and one of them was the ability to sail a vessel autonomously from one port to the other. So here's Hideaki Ando from MTI talking to me about the trial that they had a year ago, their future plans, and a little bit about what we're going to be talking about in the Blue Talk. 
we did a demonstration of uh, our <coughs> autonomous ship, a developed autonomous ship last year uh, in the end of February and in the beginning of March. And that is, uh, was a round trip from Tokyo Bay to uh, Ise Bay. The, the distance is about like 200 miles. Uh, one way. So the round trip is uh, 400 miles. The, the vessel was uh, a container, container vessel, and we we, we retrofit the autonomous uh, systems, uh, uh, autonomous navigation functionalities on on container ship. Uh, that small container ships. It's a domestic coastal container ship. It's uh, just a 100 TU size. Uh, it's uh, the size is. 750 gross ton a uh, ship. So it's very small ship. Actually, it's a retrofit, so the space and the, uh, the, like uh, for the retrofit is very limited. So actually, we put all additional computers and uh, equipments, um, uh, many computer uh, equipment in container box. So it is uh, like all those uh, electric electric equipments are installed and server in the server rack in a container. And also we place one another container because this is demonstration. So. Uh, several uh, engineers from the, each manufacturers actually could work in that container book. And then, of course, we, we place several, of course, like a human machine interface equipment and the display things in the in navigation bridge. And then at the end, actually, could achieve uh, actually in total, actually, the average 98.5%, almost like a, almost like 100%. Uh, fully autonomous uh, voyage, which okay. means like, uh, of course, we, uh, we have regulations and so on. So still, uh, we, uh, it, it, the best is, of course, under regulation. So still the crews are on board and so on. But uh, it's a uh, crew, crew did not touch, I mean, any a, equipment instruments, but rather the system uh, was navigating the vessel under the uh, monitoring of the, the crews and the captains. And uh, that the the 98.5% autonomous means like autonomous function is of course uh, it the, the system uh, does look out uh, by using the radar and also like automatic uh, identification uh, by using the radar images and so the the vessel can identify all surrounding uh, small vessels uh, other vessels and also like the geographical constraints uh, of course that information is coming from electric uh, charts and so so actually uh, the system automatically uh, autonomously uh, have a good uh, appropriate situational awareness uh, surrounding the situation and also the vessel system itself then based on that uh, situational awareness and then of course, the the long uh, passage plan, uh, voyage plan, was actually originally uh, uh, developed uh, before the navigation. So the basic waypoint and then the speed uh, actually that the plan was actually generated at shore slash in at shore control center. And then once that is actually confirmed at the shore captain, then that uh, the base navigation plan is sent to uh, onboard system. And then so based on that uh, navigation plan actually the vessel uh, start navigation. But of course, it, it, this is actually uh, navigate in very congested areas, such as like a Tokyo Bay, as you're familiar. Then vessel itself, uh, autonomous system itself, uh, detects the surrounding vessel, uh, block the coast. Then actually the computer run the first time simulation to find uh, collision avoidance routes. And then the computer itself automatically uh, uh, approve the, the new plan, new passage plan.
then it it follows the new waypoints to avoid uh, the like uh, the risk of collisions. So then, as it continuously iterating that kind of like uh, the root update, root updates in this congested area, it's uh, actually that update is more than hundred times. Then it, it actually somehow avoid uh, uh, the the risks, and then it navigate uh, safely in that congested Tokyo Bay, and it go out to the ocean. I mean, obviously that was a that was that was a coastal voyage within yeah. Japanese waters, so there right, was only right. the the Japanese authorities and classification and regulators mm. that actually mm. had mm. to take mm. to say yeah. that to say yes to give the dispensation of that, and it was a relatively mm. short voyage on a smallish mm. vessel. Right. Um, mm. So, what's the where do, where are you going to take this next? What's the next endeavors yeah. going to be to develop this? Mm. Well, I think we are considering uh, uh, two directions. Uh, the the first direction is uh, still. I mean, uh, we will we continue this because I will. We have achieved some level, but that is the technology is just for uh, demonstration. So it does not mean that uh, we can daily use in the real operation. So we need more robust, a uh, stable and reliable uh, equipment which seafarers can believe in the technology as uh, ordinary and reliable equipment mm. so that is so there's a still gap uh, to uh, uh, to make the technology uh, up, uh, improve the level of the technology uh, to the ordinary use so that is one thing and then so then actually uh, we are now concentrating uh, on the coast still small coastal ships to achieve uh, autonomous system to support human operations for the demonstration, actually, we start we installed that old equipment in container box. Actually, uh, in the end of uh, November, then after November, actually, all the captains and the crews were, were like uh, experiencing with us about like a testing and like a, a commissioning testing, and then uh, some trial trials. Then in the end, actually, we ran the demonstration in 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 the beginning of March, in the end of uh, February. So which means like a the captains were staying with that autonomous system about like a three or four months. So actually within that period, actually the, those captains crews were so get used to using that kind of equipment. It's very helpful for them. So actually when actually all those demonstration was done, actually that project period is almost over. So actually uh, because that project was run by the, the, the found from the Nippon Foundation. So actually, anyhow, in the end of the project, we have to discharge all those equipment and so on. But actually, the captain was asking uh, us, like, please leave all those equipment because we are so get used to this and we like this uh, equipment, mm -hmm. so please leave it. So uh, so that is, was a very, I mean, good message from the, the captains. Uh, so, so very excellent feedback we received. So... At the next stage, we hope that uh, we will provide them the, the real equipment uh, and the functionalities which help their daily operation navigation work. So that is uh, uh, what actually now we are uh, working on that we are uh, we try to achieve uh, maybe within like uh, three four years. And then at the same time, similar same functionality of course support bigger vessel operation like ocean going deep sea vessels too. We are MTI, are part of NYK. So actually, uh, we are now uh, working uh, with NYK uh, to how we can uh, bring experiences in the coastal vessel to deep sea vessel. So then, actually, again, we have to identify what is the concept 
how the human operation be is supported uh, be sub supported by computers so that and then uh, how that a uh, technology need should be trained for crews and then, so all those technology definition of the requirements to the technology and also the how we can uh, utilize that technology with with human i mean crews and then how we need to and what is the necessary process uh, uh, to utilize that use use uh, use uh, use the technology and then we have to educate and so on so so all mm. those things have to be well considered before developing something uh, but still probably we are missing like uh, like a big uh, good like a business model or business cases like uh, like uh, it's uh, so 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 that is still i think uh, how a the, the service provider technology provider can uh, can can be profitable uh, in this uh, in this autonomous mm -hmm. ship a uh, implementation is actually still i mean everybody is still uh, struggling to to find appropriate a uh, uh, business use case what what's the what's the biggest obstacle to that is it like the cost of connectivity or is it the cost of insurance oh that is uh, that is uh, very I, this is uh, yeah this is of course very difficult uh, question, but uh, actually, I mean, uh, by having that technology on board, then the who will benefit is still not very clear. It is for ship owner, it's just a additional cost, investment cost, and uh, operators actually mm. don't care much actually uh, about the autonomous technology. So it is rather more and more like a like a ship management company and also like a ship owner side issue. This is very much relating to the crewing and the song. In my personal opinion, I think uh, if we can, like, a, like a, for instance, like a bigger shipping company like NYK or could be Shell or others, if they can, uh, I mean, improve the level of safety, like they can reduce the incidents uh, or the near miss or those risks uh, in their fleet operation of like 100 vessels or a couple mm. hundred vessels, then if they see that is a value, then probably this technology will go. So so that is actually probably we are very much very close. And also technology level is now going better and better. So I think sooner or later, some ship owner find, oh, this is this will enhance our safety. And that will be probably bring some value to the operator or cargo owners or customer or society. If some ship owner believe in that, then probably it may happen. Does onboard autonomy, like you were demonstrating on this on the, <laughs> the small vessel, because you said you had all the servers in a container <laughs> on the deck. <laughs> oh. But did, did you need high levels? of connectivity with the shore for an autonomous system or is the way is the thinking that the autonomous system will be on the ship and therefore you don't need high levels of broadband connectivity you can just have emergency connectivity when needed i'm just trying to get an understanding of whether the the idea of an autonomous oh, yeah. ship is that it's connected permanently to the mm -hmm. shore via mm -hmm. a satellite or through a 5G or other network, mm -hmm. or whether mm -hmm. it the, the vessel and the crew would be truly autonomous. Both of them would, the vessel and the crew, would be autonomous. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, yeah, that is, uh, I think, a very good question. And also, actually, it depends on uh, what kind of concept you have. But uh, actually, in our demonstration, it was requested to develop 
a fully autonomous ship functional functions in, in that demonstration. Which means like if something happens, actually, which means like a uh, we basically we cannot expect uh, crews or onboard crews to complement the uh, to 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 adapt to whatever situation. But so so then if there is no crew on board with that assumption, then actually if something wrong happens, then actually we need some support from shore. So that's why actually we place a shore captain. And then, so actually, uh, we call it is actually remote fallback, which means like uh, the the computer actually centralized information management system are gathering all information from the each subsystem, and all subsystem condition is good enough. Then actually, which means like uh, this is very healthy a healthy situation, and autonomous all necessary all sub components are working properly, but. In some situations, for instance, it's, it's like a very congested or like a, it's, it's external uh, by external situation. Then this is uh, actually it could be also degrade the the level like uh, need some attentions or some from the from somebody a supervisor's attention is necessary. Those cases actually centralized information management system judge. Okay, now we need pay attention. So then actually that system level is a bit one level up for to, to like a higher alarm alarming level. For instance, like a, some system, okay, a, a, the functionality like a sensor is the, the reliability is degraded. And then actually the, the, the system identifies themselves. Oh, uh, my system itself is actually not very in good condition. Actually, we cannot rely on very much our eyes or something like that. So. So then, depend upon the such an integrated status. Actually, we, uh, in the in the third stages, actually, third uh, worst stages, actually, uh, we need a remote follow-up, which means like a remote monitoring uh, of the by the shore captain. Mm. And uh, in some cases, the shore captain can can take control. So that is what actually our definition, our concept, were defined. So, so actually, in those cases, we have to fully rely on. Uh, uh, satellite shipshore uh, communication. So, in this system case, actually, uh, satellite communication is so critical. So, if that is lost, actually, remote fallback cannot be achieved. So then, actually, uh, that will be go to the, the final, very worst stage, like an independent fallback. So, which means like a onboard system has to uh, main, uh, has to fall, uh, take 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 control by system itself or in our case, actually, still it was a demonstration. So the captain was on board. So then captain, which means like a captain in, in independent forward uh, status, actually captain have to take over the whole control. So that was actually, that was 1.5%. Actually, the captain took over the whole control from the system. So that was uh, independent forward. So if you define uh, your system a uh, much relying on the show operation, a continuous shore operation, then it is the ship shore uh, satellite communication is critical. Now, actually, that time actually we use uh, BSAT uh, communication and also we combine with terrestrial communication. So we try to select the faster uh, network, uh, available fastest network among several uh, channels. Actually, the terrestrial communication was not very stable and also sometimes the, the VSAT satellite communication, we lost like a connection to the satellite and so on. So actually, not very frequently, but sometimes we lost that uh, 
the, the ship show communication in, in the, the, the demonstration. Then next that time, actually, we cannot, again, uh, we could not do the remote fallback. So actually, if we think about like uh, the real implementation of this technology, then actually still this uh, ship show communication is so critical. So even even Leo and the faster uh, satellite service will come like Elon Musk, a mm. uh, 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 starting cam or one web cam, but still, we think that the probably we cannot hundred percent rely on uh, such a communication. Probably sometime we we will lose that communication. So then, actually, it means like uh, we cannot at this stage. Maybe in ten years, maybe the, the, the situation may, will be changed. But uh, at this stage, we cannot select like a ship show. I mean, the shore-based control is actually almost. Uh, we, we cannot we cannot design the system as so. Then it's it, probably demonstration is okay, but it, we cannot use for the no old, I mean the, the reliable or daily operation. We cannot rely on the shore control system. That was Hideyuki Yando talking to me about the future of autonomous shipping, and he'll be joining me on the Blue Talk stage on June the seventh in Lillestrøm. And the other experts that are going to be there will be Eric Dürkenun, the CEO of Cebus, Eva Parlov, Associate Professor at BI, Margareta Lutztoft from Marsafe Group, and Svilang Soma, the CEO of Remota, to talk about the realities of autonomous achievements in shipping and offshore. shipping people come to find out what's new and of course meet up with colleagues and industry friends. It's also a perfect time to get updated. This year's Nor Shipping theme is partnerships. I'm Jörn Matslin from Nor Shipping TV and we'll naturally bring you plenty of insights on our digital television channel. Or if you're actually at the exhibition hall for Nor Shipping, you can freely visit the Blue Talk stage and listen to one of the 12 talks on dedicated themes. Maybe you want to hear the latest about shipping competing for future fuels, about hydrogen and electrification, or perhaps you're keen to discuss digital connectivity and automation. Or it could be wind propulsion, onboard carbon capture, or offshore wind. Or maybe life cycle thinking, equitable financing of change, or the reality about green corridors. On the one stage over three days, there will be 60 experts on 12 themes, arguing with a seasoned journalist keen to uncover where the shipping and ocean industries are moving. Find the Blue Talk stage at the Lillestrøm Exhibition Hall, just outside Oslo from the 6th to the 8th of June. Welcome to Norshipping 2023. I mentioned CMAC, it's the International Council on Combustion Engines and its members are the engine makers obviously, but also turbocharger makers, lubricant oil makers and other engineering companies, but also fuel suppliers and the research institutions that innovate in this world of engineering. Now normally every three years they have the CMAC Congress, but because of COVID it's been four years and it's happening this year in Korea. And off to Korea is 
Gavin, Gavin Lipseth, um, our intrepid reporter involved in everything to do with heavy industry. So I've asked him to join me on the pod- podcast uh, this week to talk about CMAC because I think a lot of the stories that we talk about, Gavin, are relating to the evolution of the shipping industry, particularly when we're looking at new fuels and when we're looking at um, ammonia and when we're looking at methanol, biofuels and all of these options that are going. And we know that there are some key um, technology companies involved in there. So what are you expecting to see here at CMAC when you go over to South Korea in June? Hi, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um... Uh, so, yeah, as you said, the CMAC uh, Congress is really the kind of, it's the three yearly get together. Um, and normally you have, it's a very intense uh, conference, kind of four streams that go out of sessions that go on for four days um, and quite um, quite technical in some cases, ranging from basic research to engine development and service experience. Um, so, uh it's, there's a lot there that you can pick from. Um, I think what's really interesting to me this time is, as you said, the uh, the alternative fuel developments. Um, because we're four years uh, now since the last CMAC, uh, the decarbonisation agenda in shipping has moved immensely since then, and so has where we are in reality to some of the uh, some of the technologies. So, for example, methanol engines are now very um uh, a very realistic prospect you know they're on they're on merchant fleets beyond methanol tankers for the first time with Maersk's uh, fleet of container ships so one of the interesting things that i'm looking at for example is um man are going to be giving some updates on the on the engines that will be in those ships that are coming online into service next year in fact the first one in september and then the rest of the fleet in in 2024 so that's one example and then if you look at ammonia uh, a bit more of a distant project um, and that's reflected in some of the papers in cmac when there's a lot more basic fundamental research into combustion characteristics uh, emissions profile which is one of the uh, relative unknowns at the moment. Um, there'll also be discussions from the main uh, engine developers like Vartzilla and MAN about what they're doing and how their ammonia projects are coming on. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting that the, the the level of ammonia research that's still going on indicates that there's a lot of development still it, to come. It, yeah, I, I've seen that in a lot of the conversations I've had with the industry where I see that there is a growing acceptance on the introduction of methanol into the industry and it's it's going to happen for various reasons and that ammonia seems to be you know five or six steps back in that evolution chain you could say and you've seen that reflected in the level of the papers that are going to be presented during CMAC. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at some of the papers, not beyond the uh, the commercial companies who are talking about their product development, and obviously there's a little bit of marketing that goes on there and yeah. they're talking about what's coming up. But if you look at the research institutes, the universities, which have a huge part to play in CMAC, really, and kind of that's that's where you get the real understanding of where the innovation is coming through. Um, then you see what they're focusing on. And there's very much, as I said, you know, looking at some of the emissions profile of ammonia, how you me- measure it, how you understand because uh, obviously ammonia has never really been used as a fuel before, so understanding how it's going to look like when it's burned in an engine and what the what the emissions profile is going to be, and therefore what we need to do to tackle it. So obviously that goes side by side with just learning how to burn it. We also need to learn how to manage the the waste products that come from it. 
and another topic that's um, becoming very popular at the moment is carbon capture onboard carbon capture. The idea that you continue mm. using an existing engine uh, style, but have the technology on board to capture the CO2 emissions coming out of the exhaust. It's seen as a high profile solution ashore in large polluting industries that are going to need some sort of uh, carbon capture and storage. But there's a lot of effort. There's a lot of research projects going into sort of marinizing and making the technology compact enough to go onto a ship. It, is this likely to be a technology that's going to be given a lot of um, airtime during CMAC? So actually, that's one of the surprises for me is there's, that there's not more of this because um, we've had, some, as you said, we've had some very high profile projects uh, looking at carbon capture. Um, the remarkable one comes to mind with uh, ABS and on a Stena, Stena bulk vessel uh, that was announced quite recently. I'm not sure if that's come into um, operation yet, but certainly in the preparatory stages. But no, there's not a huge amount. I mean, there's there's a couple of uh, examinations of how scrubbers um, uh will um, possibly be adapted uh, to capture both particular matter, I think they already do, but to a greater extent, um, and, and actually carbon dioxide uh, in the future. I, I guess so, this is, a, I guess the technology for carbon capture is, is seen as a sort of evolution of the sulfur scrubber technology. It's, it's the ability to take a similar sort of process, but apply it in a different way for a different gas. I think that's one of the options, and if and if that if that worked well, it would make sense because we already have that technology working on board vessels. So so for sure that would um, that would be probably the easiest drop-in solution if it if it's found to be effective. Um, there are other options, but um, but you know not uh, nothing that's hugely well developed. Um, there is another interesting uh, um, specific paper that ties carbon capture in with LNG. As we know, LNG has got a huge uptake, uh, slightly reduced emissions, maybe depending on whether or not you account methane and how you account for methane. Um, so there's definitely, it's it, at the moment, it's a kind of, say, slightly reduced carbon fuel. Obviously, if you twin that with carbon capture, then you have the opportunity to reduce the emissions much further and make it a much more viable um, fuel in terms of long-term decarbonisation. So one of the presentations that I'm really looking forward to around carbon capture is from CMA Ships, part of the massive container liner CMA CGM. Uh, and they are looking at exactly that, how their huge investment so far in LNG could be decarbonized further using carbon, ca carbon capture, utilization and storage. Um, so I don't know much about that. I've not heard much from them in the past. So that's something new to me that will be at CMAC and possibly interesting when you have a an operator of that size um, talking about what they're what they're looking at. And what about the introduction of biofuels? Is this drop-in idea of biofuels or the evolution of different new fuels? Is that something that the engine makers and the research institutions are also looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, again, biofuels have been pretty widely trialled um, uh, yeah. in shipping for the, for the last few years. Um, so there's going to be some interesting operational feedback on that, again, from CMA, I think, actually. Um, but there'll be a bit more looking. I, I think there are certain um, uh, issues that come with the storage of biofuels. Um, 
calling them drop-in fuels may be slightly optimistic because I think there's there's certain issues about um, about how they're used and how they're stored that can make them a, a slightly more challenging prospect than a conventional VLSFO. And what do you think are going to be the highlights for you um, being in Korea for those for that week? In general, it's just getting an idea of where shipping is going and where where de- where decarbonisation is leading the industry in a realistic sense. As I say, there's a, there's there's just there's just a lot of hype around around te- some technologies and some of them. I think I think you're right. There's a, there's a lot of uh, spin that um, I see coming through in press releases and announcements and that and. Uh, running on the sort of meeting the challenge of decarbonisation. But the reality is that these engines are huge. They are massive beasts that have a lot of complex technology around them. And it's not easy just to switch out one to the other as if you're dealing with a car, for example. And yeah, it's a huge investment. A huge it, investment it's a huge it's investment, but also it's, it's, it's the ancillary technologies that you've got that have to go around everything on a ship mm-hmm. you can't just stick in a new kind of engine put a fuel tank and say hey ho here we go it has to be a much more it's a much more complex and you look at the way that the engines are built even so having all of this technology ready is going to be key to all of this and knowing what you're going to do when particularly in all the process so have you have you seen much discussion in terms of how this decarbonization works alongside the shipbuilding process? Uh, that, yeah, that is a serious consideration. Um, I think the way that ship design changes to to accommodate alternative fuels is going to be huge, and obviously it's not just the uh, the engines, which are a massive investment that they ha- that ship owners have to be certain will be the right choice uh, for the next. T- 20 plus years. Um, it's also the fuel tanks, which are going to need to be much bigger. Ammonia and methanol will need to be at least twice as big as the uh, as tanks used to store VLSFO if they want the same the same range. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a huge challenge. And then when it comes to the the type of tanks and where they're positioned, given um, safety regulations and the kind of structural reinforcement that's needed for tanks of that size and weight. Um, so yes, very very important things to consider. Um, there is a really unusual um, uh, paper in CMAC that I'm looking forward to, which is uh, from Darman, the Dutch shipbuilder, um, that is talking about exactly that. Now I've only seen at this stage you don't see the papers; they only give you the um, you know, they only give you the uh, title, uh, and the title says alternative uh, fuel or the impact of uh, alternative fuel on on ship design. So, but Darman are a, Darman are a big company. They, you know, they've uh, they've got a lot of experience on uh, in alternative fuels and on kind of a range a range of vessel sizes. So I'm looking forward to their input. It's the first time I've seen a a ship builder um, uh, talking about uh, about anything in CMAC for the last, and I've been there for the last three times. So um, and there's Hyundai there, um, but. I think more on the engine technology side than uh, than shipbuilding. CMAC is on uh, in Busan in South Korea from June the 12th till the 16th. Um, you're going to be reporting for us at Fathom World and hopefully giving some contribution into the podcast as well, live or as live maybe from yeah. the floor at the Congress talking about the um, 
let's just say what you find to be some of the most exciting and interesting things relating to uh, engines in the future of the industry. So, Gavin, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Craig. Look forward to coming back on. And don't forget that you can sign up for the newsletter from Fathom World. We put a newsletter out once every fortnight. Uh, go to fathom.world and you can sign up there. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share this podcast and you'll find gavin of course in busan between june the 12th and june the 16th and you're more than welcome to go up and have a chat with him and for myself i'll be at nor shipping you'll find me in oslo um, at nor shipping on the blue talk stage where i'll be moderating all the blue talks there until the next time thank you very much goodbye